Good morning. Please leave your Bibles open to First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, chapter one. I want to start out this morning giving you some advice. I know you're going to find this helpful. I know that it will lift your spirits and improve your mood, put a smile on your face, give you a brighter outlook on life, make you happier, and even make other people glad to be in your presence if you'll just follow this advice. I guess that's a tall order for one piece of advice, but I'm confident that this will help. And the advice that I have for us this morning is that starting today, do not watch any more news programs on television. <laughs> Don't check any news source on the internet. Read the comics in the newspaper and then throw it away. Eliminate the news media from your life and you'll get all the benefits that I just mentioned guaranteed. News has been just so incredibly depressing lately, hasn't it? could drive the most determined optimists to their knees. Bombings in Yemen and Pakistan, train wrecks in California, the destruction of the hurricane in Texas, our economic troubles, Iran and Afghanistan, the continued wars, and if I don't stop, I know somebody's going to start crying. It's so bleak and so depressing. It squashes our joy and our hope. And it's hard not to think that the future is just bleak and so very forbidding. So don't watch the news anymore. And you'll be glad that you didn't. As Christians, we know that the future is anything but bleak and forbidding. We know the one who holds the future. And we know that the future is as bright as the promises of God. As someone has said, God promises that he always has our best interest at heart. He promises that he is planning to save us and not punish us. He promises to work in everything for the good of those who love him. He assures us that he loved us even when we were sinners. He sacrificed his own son for us when we were enemies. God promises that he is for us, and because he is for us, no one can be against us. Search the Bible from beginning to end, search human history, and you will find that God never one time made a promise that he didn't keep. The one who watches over us cares for us, and nothing in all the world can take us from him. In all of these promises, God is saying yes to us. He affirms us. He expresses his love. He assures us of our salvation and of our relationship with him. There is a passage here in 2 Corinthians in which Paul is responding to some complaints from the Corinthian church that he's not dependable that he can't be trusted, that he can't be counted on. And he responds to these charges not by defending himself, 
but by pointing those who are doing the complaining to God and to the certainty of God's promises. As we read this, the context may not seem to be very important, but the response that Paul gives in this context is of great importance. It's great importance to our spiritual health and welfare. I hope that it will strengthen us and reassure us and that it will give us great courage as we face the future. The passage is the one that Scott read for us in verses 12 through 22 of chapter 1. Paul and the Corinthians did not seem to have ever had a very easy relationship. Read again through verses 12 through 17. Paul declares to them that he has a clear conscience about his conduct in the world and his conduct toward them. He has acted in holiness and sincerity with them. He has not worked with them on the basis of worldly wisdom, but according to God's grace. In his communication with them, what he has said to them has been understandable. And he is hoping that they will grow spiritually so that on the day of the Lord, they can boast about him as much as he plans to boast about them. It doesn't take much skill to read between the lines of verses 12 through 14 to sense the tension and the strain between the Corinthian congregation and its apostle. But even so, despite all of that, Paul loves these people. He loves this church. And he longs to be with them, to be in their presence, to enjoy their fellowship. And so he tells them that he is making plans to visit them. He's on his way to Macedonia, and when he gets there, he's going to come back. And both trips, he's going to see them so that they will be twice blessed. And the issues that are troubling between him and the congregation have to do with these travel plans. Now, why would somebody be concerned or bothered by Paul's travel plans? Well, it seems that the plans that he outlines in verse 15 and 16 are not the original plans that he had told them about. Turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and look at verses 2 through 8, where he first talks about his coming visit. And then when we get to the place where he finally makes his visit and his travels, He does something altogether different. But again, the question comes, why would anybody be bothered about that? What real difference would it make as to where Paul went before he came to Corinth or after or how he arranged his travel plans? Why would that bother anyone? Well, it seems that there was a group of people in the Corinthian church to whom it mattered very much, who were deeply disturbed by these changes of Paul's plans. They didn't see these changes as a result of changing needs and circumstances. They saw them as evidence of moral failure on the part of Paul. They took all of these changes in Paul's itinerary as evidence that his word could not be trusted. It wasn't dependable. 
And when we put this in the context of all of 2 Corinthians, we know that what they were saying is, not only is he not dependable, his word is not dependable, his gospel is not dependable. Paul had enemies in Corinth who were trying to undermine and destroy his work. And so he asks, as he explains his circumstances, was I vacillating in all of this? Was I being fickle? Was I being indecisive? Was I being impulsive, unable to make up my mind? Was I yes, yes, and no, no in the same breath? And when you look at those questions in verse 17, they all require the same answer, and the answer is no. He wasn't being yes, yes, and no, no in the same breath. He wasn't being fickle or indecisive. He wasn't being careless and untrustworthy in his planning. But that's the trouble that is there. The accusations that are there between the church and the Apostle Paul. So what does Paul do about it? How does he respond to their accusations? Well, the thing that stands out to me is that he doesn't defend himself. And that's a pretty hard thing to do. When somebody's taking shots at you, to to not respond is really an amazing strength of character. But that's what he does. And instead of defending himself, he turns them to God and to what God has done in their lives and what God is doing. Look at verses 18 through 20. He reminds them that he and Silas and Timothy have been preaching the gospel and teaching doctrine and writing letters of encouragement and correction. And they've been making visits to Corinth and receiving guests from Corinth. In other words, they and the Corinthians have been in full communication with each other. But what has that message, that communication been like? Has it been fickle? Has it been uncertain? Has it been undependable? Well, Paul calls God to be his witness. And he insists that while the Corinthians think that he is yes, yes, and no, no, he is sure that as God is faithful, his message has not been both yes and no. He reminds them that in his message, he has preached Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Silas and Timothy had been preaching Jesus Christ. And Paul says emphatically, Jesus is not yes and no. Jesus is not yes one moment and no the next. We didn't preach a Jesus who was a condemning, hanging judge in one breath and then in the next moment say that he was some kind of huggable teddy bear. We didn't give you those kinds of mixed signals. Jesus doesn't change in his efforts or his desires for us. Jesus is always yes for us. Jesus is always for us. He is always on our side. He is always for our salvation. And that's what we preach to you. And Paul's argument is that if he himself was always yes about the most important thing of all, salvation in Jesus, then why would he be inconsistent over something as trivial as travel plans? And he insists that he has never been guilty of equivocation or duplicity in a matter as important as their salvation. So how can they imagine that now 
he would be doing something wrong in the way his travel plans changed. Again, it may not be what Paul says here about his travel plans that is so important to us. But what he says about Jesus, and what he says about Jesus always being yes, is important to us. It's very important to our spiritual life. Because you and I need to know that whatever comes to us in life, however our lives go, Jesus is always yes to faithful, obedient Christians. There may be a time in a person's life when they find out that someone doesn't love them anymore. But Jesus never stops loving us. There may be times in life when the closest ones to us seem to abandon us. But Jesus is always with us. He always stays by us. No matter who or what fails us in life, Jesus will not fail us. No matter who disappoints us, Jesus will not disappoint us. No matter how often the world tells us no, Jesus always tells us yes. He always affirms us. He always loves us. He always upholds us. No matter what physical or emotional troubles might come to us and say no to us, Jesus the faithful Savior says to the faithful, obedient disciple, yes. He affirms us. He supports us. And not only that, Paul says, not only does Jesus always say yes, but God is always yes. Jesus coming into the world... His preaching, His teaching, His healing, His casting out demons, His death, His burial, His resurrection is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. If you go back to the very beginning of the Bible, God begins to make promises of a coming Savior, of a redemption, or as we were reminded at the table, of a new covenant. And all of those promises were kept for us. What God promised to do in bringing about salvation, He did without fail. Every one of those promises that have been fulfilled are God saying yes to us. Again, He never made a promise and said, yes, I will keep it, and then later said, no, I won't. Never said that one time. His plan from the Garden of Eden was to redeem human beings from their sins because He's our Creator, because He loves us, because He wants us to spend eternal life with us. And through Jesus, He kept all the promises. And no matter what happens to us, He loves us. And He will always love us. And nothing can come at us in life that can take us away from Him. Nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Now when we appreciate that God's promises, whatever their number, are realized in and through Jesus, and we realize that all of that is God's way of saying yes to us, how should we respond to His yes? What answer should we give to God in Christ's yes? Wouldn't the right response be to worship Him? To offer Him praise? To honor Him? Yes, it certainly would be. And so Paul says, through Christ, the Amen is spoken to the glory of God. That the essence of Christian worship, 
Whether we're saying prayers or taking the Lord's Supper or singing songs or hearing the Word, whatever it is, is a way of responding to God. It's a way of giving our consent and our approval, our faith, and our affirmation of Him and what He's doing in our lives. That's what we're doing as we worship. The Amen, the worship, points us to an acknowledgement that His promises of salvation are true and that can be depended on. Our worship is an act of saying yes back to God. And so what the Corinthians were not understanding is that when they said amen or yes to affirm the gospel that Paul preached, they were affirming that message. So how could they turn around and think that he wasn't dependable? How could they think that he was yes, yes one time and no, no the next? There are so many things in life that say no to us. That say that we don't count. That say we're just a number. That we don't matter. And life has a way of wearing us down. Even those that love us sometimes hurt us. Life can sound like one big no. But in Christ Jesus, God has kept every promise. He has said yes to us over and over again. We matter to Him. He cherishes us. He loves us. He cares for us. He saves us. And so when the world says no, God is standing with us to say yes. And so in response to their affirmation, we offer God our worship and our praise to say yes to them. And we do so again in our faith and our obedience. But God's yes to us and Jesus' yes to us are not just past affirmations of events in the past, but they are also present and future affirmations. Look at the last things that Paul says in verse 21 and 22. If there are so many things in the world and life that oppose us in our walk with God, if there's always pressure to say no to God, how do we make our yes to Him solid and secure? When we say yes to God, how can we back it up? So that it's not just words that we've uttered, but that our whole life is our saying to God, yes, we are yours, and yes, we believe in you, and yes, we will obey you. Well, Paul continues by saying that backing it up is not our work. Making our yes secure isn't our work, but it's God's. For when God says yes to us through Christ and the gospel, and we say yes to him in obedience and faith, God guarantees our yes. He guarantees our affirmation. He is constantly engaged in strengthening us and helping us to grow in our relationship with Christ. He constantly renews us and confirms us and strengthens us in our faith and in our faithfulness. Now, he doesn't say yes for us. He doesn't force us to say yes. But when we respond to the gospel with faith and obedience, he holds on to that faith for us. He holds on to that obedience for us, and he strengthens it. He helps it to remain. He makes it strong. And neither the world nor life nor even death have a know that is strong enough to overcome the yes of obedient faith when God makes it firm. Paul told the Philippians in chapter 2 and verse 13, 
For it is God who works in you to both to will and to work for his good purpose. And Jude tells us in Jude 24 that God is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us before the presence of his glory with joy. But not only does God make us stand firm in Christ, Paul says he also anoints us. When somebody in the Bible is anointed, they are set aside for God. They are set aside for a special task or a special responsibility. And Paul is simply saying that God makes us stand firm in Christ. He sets us aside. He consecrates us to his service. He assigns us a task in the kingdom. He gives us responsibilities that are ours to fulfill. He appoints us to his service. And what greater affirmation could God give us than to say, you have a place in my work. Here on earth, you are part of what is going to be needed for my work to come to completion. I want your help with the accomplishment of my plans and purposes. That is God saying yes to us. That is God affirming that we matter, that we count to him. And so God makes us stand firm. He appoints us to his service. And next, Paul says, he sets his seal of ownership on him. Another way to read this is he also sealed us by putting his spirit in our hearts as a down payment and pledge. In Paul's day, a seal was a piece of clay or a piece of wax in which a person's mark was impressed. And much of the time, seals like that were to indicate ownership. If my seal is on a package, then it's my package. But it was also used in commerce to authenticate that the goods in question were exactly what were described in a bill of sale. And it was used for security purposes to guarantee that goods were what they were supposed to be when they were transferred from the seller to the buyer. Paul is saying God put his seal on us. He put his seal on us that, as a sign that we belong to him. He put his seal on us to attest that we are in Christ Jesus. He put his seal on us for security purposes. To guarantee that, what, that it is his will that we reach home safely. And the seal that he has given us. It's not a clay stamp on her forehead, but the Holy Spirit himself, who from our baptism dwells in our hearts and serves as a down payment, as a guarantee from God that someday we will receive our inheritance from him in full. The Holy Spirit is placed in our hearts to assure us of our salvation, to assure us of our home in heaven. And so God himself makes us stand firm. He anoints us. He seals us. He gives us his spirit. He says yes to you and to me when we respond to him in faith and obedience. I don't know if Paul ever overcame the difficulties that he had with the church in Corinth. I think we always need to remember as we read the Corinthian letters that Paul called them the church of God. And that he loved them. But we don't know if they ever gave up their doubts and suspicions about him. But Paul lived out his life in the yes of the Lord. No matter what the hardship, 
no matter what the suffering, no matter what the loss, he knew that his life was in God's hands and he trusted God. He knew that in the end, everything would be all right with him. As the end of Paul's life approached, he told Timothy this, And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed, because I know whom I believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted him for that day. God's yes never failed Paul. He came to the end of his life still trusting that God was going to save him. And we know that God's yes never failed. Well, God's yes will not fail us. His yes to us cannot be compromised as long as we keep believing and keep obeying. So don't let, don't let the world and the things that are going on in the world say no to you. Don't let sickness or illness or setbacks or hardship make you doubt God's love or question your worth. Don't lose your faith in His eternal yes. Our future is bright. We have a home in heaven, and we're on our way there because God loves us. And every one of His promises, without exception, are His yes to us. His affirmation of His love and His care for us and the home in heaven that He has waiting for us. So may God strengthen us. May we hear His yes in all that we do this week. And knowing that He's with us and knowing that He's for us, may we give ourselves without holding anything back to His purposes and to His plans. May God bless us to that end. We're going to stand now and sing a song of encouragement. There's someone here this morning that needs to do God's will or is in need of prayer. Come on, we stand and sing.